Well, again, Brian, thank you very much for the very kind words of welcome. Always a joy to come to St. Field Baptist. As a matter of fact, I remember quite recently being here with Diego, our visit, our uh, Brazilian pastor from the northeast of Brazil, and he thoroughly enjoyed the visit here. This morning I mentioned that one of our colleagues, Robin McCready, was so very ill on the verge of passing into the Lord's presence, and indeed at 12.15 this morning, that's exactly what happened to him. The last time I heard Robin sing, Robin used to say to me, you preachers, when you get to heaven, you'll be made redundant, for you'll not be preaching evangelistic sermons anymore, but us singers, we will just keep on singing. And uh, that was Robin. The last time that he sang for me in a meeting, he sang the, it is finished, the battle is over. And thank God, that's exactly how it is for Robin today. Uh, I'd just like to say, mention or tell an incident from his life. But before I do that, I'd like to read what I feel is an appropriate portion of Scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 7. The Apostle Paul writing to the believers in Corinth. And he knew that they were partakers. That is, fellow laborers with them in the gospel. Second uh, Corinthians 1 and 7, And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the sufferings, so shall ye also be of the consolation. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble, which came to us in Asia. For we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and doth deliver, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. Ye also helping together by prayer for us, that for the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks may be given by many on our behalf. Many years ago, we worked in a little town called Kanotama. Uh, it's a very remote town, and uh, Audrey and I were there for several years. Uh, when Robin and Thelma got married way back in 1968, uh, we were leaving Kanotama, and they were to replace us. Uh, to get to Kanotama, it was a, a three-hour flight on a Catalina flying boat. I say a flying boat because the Catalina, though it landed at airports uh, to the interior, it didn't land on the river, but you know what I mean, it came down. Uh, we use the word posard in, the, in Portuguese, it posard on the river. And when you were in a Catalina plane, which only held about 30 people, and when it was coming in to land on the water, you felt you were in a biscuit tin uh, going over the top of the water, the sound of it was horrific. It was a weekly event for us when we lived in Kanatama when the aeroplane came once weekend and quite frustrating when the pilot forgot to come on a particular week but you didn't worry because in Latin way you just said well he'll be here next week the letters can wait for another week and uh, so it was that Robin uh, went down on a Thursday to meet the boat coming in. I say the boat coming in because although it landed on the river uh, you had to go out by canoe. The passengers who were embarking were on a canoe. They went out to it. You embarked into the Catalina over the top of the fuselage 
and down inlet. And likewise, for those who were disembarking, they also came out over the top of the fuselage and down a little step and into the dugout canoe that brought you to the shore, or should I say to the river bank at Kanotama. It was a typical Thursday when Robin was there, hoping for some letters from home as he waited with some others for the Catalina to come. On that particular day, the Catalina, this was 50 years ago last year this happened. On that particular day, the Catalina, as it came down, it seemed to fall into the river, not smoothly land and and playing along the top of the water, but it seemed to fall out of the sky and hit the water with a splash. And when it did that, the Catalina broke in two. Robin immediately with some others, they got and with paddles in their hand, they paddled out immediately to the Catalina. And Robin was first on board on top of the Catalina, trying to get the door open. And as he pulled the door open, then he pulled the passengers out of the Catalina, bringing them up and sending them down. And they were putting the passengers, who were in quite distress, into the canoe. Uh, As he pulled one and another out, and the canoe was filled, that canoe left, and another one came alongside. And then Robin remembered the crew who were up at the front of the, the, uh, the Catalina. The Catalina, this time now breaking in two, filling with water, uh, was drifting downstream. It doesn't stay stationary, drifting downstream. And Robin, very courageously, uh, edged his way along the top of the fuselage, of this sinking Catalina and onto the wing and opened the the door to drag out the captain, the pilot. He dragged him out onto the wing and then the co-pilot was also dragged out onto the wing and they uh, came onto the fuselage and down into the canoe. And when they got the captain and the the co-pilot into the canoe, the canoe took off and Robin was on board on the wing. And he couldn't swim. And uh, the plane was going down, filling with water. Uh, and Robin had to shout to them, shout to come back for him. And so from almost the river bank, he came back to get Robin, edged him from the wing down into the canoe. And just as he got into the canoe, the, the plane went down. Went down with a woman and her baby on board, and alas, they lost their lives. But when we think of that day, we thank God for these words, that the God who does deliver, did deliver, and will deliver, will deliver us. And that was the case for Robin. Many times over the Amazon, we flew in small aeroplanes. Many of them came to terrible disasters. I myself was booked to be on a DC-3 aircraft. My plans were changed providentially. And that aircraft came down with 34 people on board, all of whom lost their lives, some of them being our very close friends. Our friend, Dr. Bill Woods, who frequently flew over the Amazon in small one-engine planes, nine of the pilots with whom he has flown over the years were all killed in aircraft disasters in the Amazon. I say that because the Apostle Paul, although he was in Asia, he was writing to the saints in Europe in Corinth. And he told them of the despair, the pressure, the pressure of his program, the pressure of people, the pressure of persecution, that he felt that he had the sentence of death even upon himself, the pressure that was upon him. But the God in whom we trust, he doth deliver. 
And then he wrote these words, You also helping together by prayer unto God for us. Paul was in Asia, very far away from Europe, and yet the saints in Europe, lifting up their hands in prayer for Paul in Asia. The God who heard them from Europe is the God who answered in Asia. My friend, can I say that's exactly how it has been in the testimony of the Acre Gospel Mission over many years. The people who prayed here in Northern Ireland, touching the throne of grace here, why God was answering prayer in the Amazon and answering prayer in the northeast of Brazil and answering prayer in Portugal. And that's why I come here this evening and say, we want to thank you, as the Apostle Paul said, you also helping together by prayer unto God for us, that this gift may be bestowed upon us, that we will be able to give thanks to God. And we want to thank you for your prayers. Those prayers have protected us for many years and and we are grateful for that. Do please remember the McCready family as his funeral takes place on Tuesday. Heavenly Father, how we thank you for every testimony of your grace. You are the one who protects us. You are our hiding place. And for this we give you thanks. Bless Robin's family at this time. We pray that you will bring to them the comfort that comes from you. For you are the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Now Lord... Do bless us as we open thy word to consider the Lord Jesus Christ, the good one, the great one of whom we spoke this morning. Accept our thanks now in Christ's name. Amen. Incidentally, don't you wonder what unconverted do when they're in trouble? Uh, who, who do they call to? Who do they call upon? Why, as Christians, I know that it's true of you that We are constantly in touch with the throne of grace that God will guide us, protect us, provide for us, and thank God he does. Hebrews chapter 7, please. Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 24. The verse 24 to the end of the chapter. It doesn't mention the name of the Lord Jesus, but it's all about him. As a matter of fact, right through this chapter, it doesn't mention, and well, it does once mention the name of Jesus, but, but it's all about him. As a matter of fact, that's what this book is all about. Someone has said, this is the real hymn book. It's, it's all about him, the Lord Jesus Christ. So bear that in mind when we read these words, verse 24. But this man, because he continues ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood, wherefore, He is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. For such a high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins and then for the people's, For this he did once when he offered up himself. For the law maketh men high priests which have infirmity. But the word of the oath which was since the law maketh the son who is consecrated forevermore. I call your attention to verse 26. It's speaking of the Lord Jesus when it says of him, For such a high priest became us. 
The word I draw attention to is the word become. Sometimes words are a bit like coins. Coins over time lose their value. I'm looking around here tonight and I see a few people who remember the days of the hippony. As a matter of fact, maybe I see a few who remember the days of the farthing. And that's gone back a bit. But farthings and hippenies have, have lost their value. And I still notice that even in shops I see pennies laying, lying on the floor. And, and they are of so little value that seldom they are picked up. Coins lose their value. And so it is with words. Sometimes new words are introduced and old words seem to lose their value. And that, I feel, is the case with verse 26 when it says, For such a high priest became us. The word become, as it's written here, is a word that was used by a tailor. That was one who was making clothes. For such a high priest suits us, fits us, just the way the tailor would do. Some of you, I'm speaking now of older people, will remember the days of Burtons and Spackman. When you went down and you got measured for a suit, I remember doing it as a boy. They measured your waist, the length of your leg, the breadth of your shoulders. And so it was, two weeks later, you went down and you got a suit that became you. It suited you. It was made exactly for you. Likewise with ladies. I don't know if they still have the days of the dressmakers. And on a particular night, you would go for what they called the fitting to save it suits you, becomes you. And so it says of Jesus Christ to us this evening, Jesus Christ becomes us. He suits us. He fits us. Fits us in the sense, not that Jesus Christ was made for us. Jesus Christ is a creator. He was never created. But rather, he suits us in the sense that we were created by him and for him. And without him, Our lives are empty and void. And my friend, isn't that the truth? Jesus Christ is the key to eternal life. Jesus Christ is the key to hope that takes us, what the Bible calls a blessed hope, a living hope that takes us to heaven. A hope that is as an anchor to the soul that helps us to sing in our sorrow and see the clear way to Calvary and beyond Calvary to heaven itself. Jesus Christ, I say again, suits us, becomes us. We need him. I remember this came home to me quite a few years ago. We were returning to Brazil in 1970. We were taking a ton and a half of baggage. Can I think of taking a ton and a half of baggage to Brazil? Nowadays, we can hardly fill a suitcase. But a ton and a half of baggage. And in that baggage, there were boxes and barrels and... uh, and all sorts of things that we would need for four or five years living out there in the remote parts of the Amazon. Amongst the baggage, we had two airtight trunks that we bought in the tropical suppliers in London, Allison's. They were not only airtight, they were steel and very secure. When we got to the town of Tarawaka, 2,800 miles up the Amazon, we found that that airtight trunk, which incidentally was useful for our clothes in the uh, humid climate clothes out there tend to get what we call mofar, blue molded oftentimes because of the humidity. However, in an airtight trunk, we kept them there. I found that the airtight trunk came in for another good reason. Uh, that is that we didn't have any banks. I was the uh, administrator of the local hospital, Sansangomis Hospital, and so all of the money that was 
in the hospital with no bank. I kept it in an airtight trunk under lock and key. Not only so, God was blessing the work, the congregation was growing, and we had to build a new church. And so the money that was coming in for the new church, we kept it in the trunk with the hospital money. I was also the treasurer of the mission, and any petty cash, loose cash that we had of the mission, we kept it in the trunk. Dr. Tom Geddes had gone home, and he had left quite a sum of money for us to help some poor people in the town. And guess where we kept it? We we kept it in the trunk. The hospital, the church, the mission, Tom's... It sounded more like a treasure chest than an airtight trunk for, for clothes. Now, I know that you never have this problem in your house that we have in our house. That is, one day I came home from the hospital needing money to pay a particular bill down at the hospital, but when I got home, I couldn't find the key. Anybody ever lose a key? In our house, uh, I lose the keys, and Audrey has got to try and find them. It's a sort of game that we play. Uh, I lose them and she finds them. And, and on that particular day, we couldn't find the key. I mean, we, we use a term that we just about ate the house and we still couldn't find the key. But listen, we had lots of keys. I had about 35 keys for all these barrels and boxes. We had long keys, flat keys, short keys, and brass keys, steel keys. I went through every key and I couldn't find a key that would fit the lock. And so this very expensive trunk, airtight steel trunk, I'm going to have to break it open. So I went down to the tool house. I got a crowbar and a hammer. And in the heat of the tropics, I worked at that steel trunk for over an hour. The perspiration dripping off my chin. The shirt was soaked. And I still couldn't get the trunk open. What am I going to do? And then guess what happened? Audrey found the key. When Audrey found the key, it was ever so easy. We we put the key into the lock, and it opened the, it opened the trunk. And why? Simply because the key fitted the lock, became the lock. My friend, I think to myself, wouldn't it be wonderful if only everyone could find the right key? If only everyone could find Jesus Christ who said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Remember the words of the Apostle Peter, Lord, to whom else can we go but unto thee? For you only have the words of eternal life. My friend, I say to you this evening, only Jesus Christ can save. Only Jesus Christ can satisfy. Only Jesus Christ can fill the emptiness of a human heart. All over our world tonight, all over this countryside tonight, there are people who are nursing aching hearts, empty hearts. They're conscious of the emptiness. Sometimes it's driving them to despair. They're trying to fill that emptiness. Sometimes they try to do it at the end of a bottle of alcohol, pickling their brains as they do it. Sometimes some are trying to find it at the end of a needle, destroying their lives. Other people will not turn to these vices. Some people are trying to fill their emptiness by gathering around them as much as they can. More properties, more money. Others are trying to climb the social scale and get higher and higher. But just like Zacchaeus, when they get to the top, they find that there, there is no satisfaction. Because the human heart without Christ is an empty heart, a void heart. And my friend, I say that to you this evening. Jesus Christ becomes you. You need him in your heart. 
I remember the days of Ivan Thompson, Ivan before his conversion, used to go every Wednesday night to Celtic Park on the Donegal Road in Belfast. Not for any football match, but rather he went not only to see the dogs, but also to gamble the dogs. And oftentimes, most times, on a Wednesday night, <clears throat> he gambled all that he had and lost all that he had. That is, until one night, when he had lost everything that he had, and from Celtic Park, he had to walk seven miles home to Newton Abbey in the bucketing rain. And it really hurt him when he saw the dogs going home in taxis, and he had to walk it. But what he found at the race was this. The dogs were running after something they never caught. And furthermore, what they were chasing wasn't real. And isn't that the picture of life today for many people? They're chasing something that's not real. And when they get that, if it's money or property or, or even drugs or drink, when they get it, it doesn't fill. They're still left with the emptiness of the heart. Jesus Christ becomes us, suits us. We need him tonight. In the context, or as we use the word, in the neighborhood of this verse, it tells us why we need Jesus Christ and why Jesus Christ becomes us. Look at the previous verse when it says this word, speaking of Jesus, wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. The writer of this book is reminding us that Jesus Christ becomes us. We need him. Why? Because he is exactly who we need. Not perhaps, but exactly who we need. When God sent Jesus Christ into the world, he sent a savior. He didn't send a politician. He didn't send a potentate to sit upon a throne. He sent the son to be the savior. The angels declared and said, behold, there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And my friend, can I say, that's exactly why Jesus came. The Apostle Paul wrote those words and said, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to do what? To save sinners. Why? Because that's exactly what we needed. It's not only that, it's exactly who we needed. We needed Jesus Christ, one who would bear away our sin, one who would bring forgiveness to us, one who would lift the burden of guilt. Listen, this thing of the burden of guilt, as we reminded ourselves this morning, right from the dawn of history with Adam and Eve when they were driven out of the Garden of Eden because of their sin, the burden of guilt and sin has been upon every human heart. And only Jesus Christ can change it. Why, he came to shed his blood, that through the shedding of his blood on Calvary's cross, we might have forgiveness. The Bible tells us that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. It is in Christ that we have redemption, and in him we have the forgiveness of sin. Oh, my friend, this evening, what, what a wonderful thing it is to be saved, to know that our sins have been forgiven. When I read this portion of Scripture, I see here of Christ's ability to save. He is able to save all that come to him. Isn't that wonderful? I read the pages of Holy Scripture, and I find that a religious man like Nicodemus, who was a ruler of the Jews, he knew all about the religion of Judaism. 
<coughs> he knew all the intricacies of the law. He knew all the history of the nation. He knew all the f- uh, ceremonies of the temple. He knew it all. He had it all up here, a man of knowledge and a teacher. But his heart was empty until he met Christ. Excuse me. You know, I never drink uh, during sermon. <coughs> and people say maybe that's why you're such a dry preacher but <clears throat> yes a man like Nicodemus a teacher he came to Jesus by night and said master no man can do the works that thou doest except God be with him interesting that the Lord Jesus didn't answer the theological question and dispute into which Nicodemus wanted to speak Jesus Christ didn't answer his question. He answered his problem. And he said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you must be born again. The Lord Jesus wasn't addressing the intellectual question of the heart, of the mind. Jesus, my friend, was addressing the heart and saying to Nicodemus, you need a new life. And to have a new life, you must be born again. My friend, can I say, Jesus Christ can do that for anyone. Maybe I'm speaking to someone this evening and you have been religious, but you don't have Christ as Savior. John chapter 3, in which it tells the story of Nicodemus, is a chapter that's filled with life. Jesus said, He that believeth me hath everlasting life. The end of the chapter says, He who has the Son has life. He who is not the Son of God hath not life, but the wrath of God abides upon him. My friend, I tell you this evening, you need Jesus Christ. He becomes you. He fits you. We could go on and speak not only for a religious man like Nicodemus, a rich man like Zacchaeus, a rejected boy from the city of Decapolis who lived amongst the tombs, tormented by demons in his mind and his body, a legion of demons, over 2,000 demons, trampling all over his mind, all over his body, until he met Jesus. And he found that Jesus was exactly who he needed. And the Lord Jesus put the devil out and filled the man's heart with peace and sent him home to his friends to tell them the great things that God had done in his life. Jesus Christ becomes, he is able to save. Not only his ability to save, but his availability. Isn't that wonderful? He is able to save who? All, it tells us here, he is able to save also them to the uttermost that come unto God. My friend, Jesus Christ is available this evening. The Bible is a welcome book. John Wesley said that the word come is the queen of all words. It's a word that was spoken to Noah when the ark was finished. God said to Noah, come into the ark. It is a word that was given in the book of Isaiah when the Lord said, come, come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. It is a word that fell from the lips of our Lord Jesus when he spoke to the multitude and said, Come, come unto me, all ye that are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It is a word that our Lord Jesus spoke with a heavy heart when he said to the Pharisees, And ye will not come to me that you might have life. My friend, Jesus Christ is not only able to save, he's available, available tonight. For many years, we traveled on the tributaries of the Amazon, taking the message of the gospel to men and women who'd never heard it. 
And sometimes at the end of the meeting, hearing the gospel for the first time, they'd ask the question, can I be saved? Oh, thank God they can. Thank God they can. Sometimes people away in the distant parts of the jungle would write to us and say, we've been listening to the radio, to the program of the Hour of Decision, and we want to know, can we become believers? Can we become Christians? Thank God they can. My friend, listen, the word come reminds us, see, children can come to Christ. Oh, there are none of these here this evening, but old people can come to Christ. M, middle-aged people can come to Christ. E, everybody, everybody ought to know who Jesus is. His ability to save, he is able. His availability, all who come to him. And why? Because he's alive. He's alive. My friend, Jesus Christ lives and he is able to save you if you come. He is exactly who you need. This portion of scripture teaches me not only that he's exactly who we need, it teaches me that he is everything we need. Listen to what it says in verse 26, For such a high priest becomes us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. Jesus Christ is everything that we are not. He is everything that we are not. He is holy. My friend, the Bible reminds us that we are sinners. He is holy, harmless, undefiled. Why, Jeremiah, he knew his own heart and said, The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The psalmist said, Why, I have I've been a sinner since I was born. I was born in sin and shaped in iniquity, said David. My friend, can I say... Jesus Christ is everything that we are not, but he is everything we need. And that's the amazing thing of salvation. The Christ who came to bear our sin and take away our sin in the shedding of his blood now robes us in the righteousness that is his. We are accepted before God in the person of Jesus Christ as if we were him. Isn't that amazing this evening? He's everything that I am not. He's everything I need. Why, he grants us holiness. He grants us righteousness. My friend, thank God this evening, you can be saved. You can be justified tonight because of Jesus. The word that is used here of a high priest, the word priest is a very interesting word. The word in Latin is the word pontifax. In Portuguese, when we speak of a bridge, we speak of a ponte. It's the same word in Spanish, same word in Italian. It's a Latin word that is used in Latin languages. As a matter of fact, even in English, when we speak of a, a, a ready-made bridge, they call it a pontoon. It comes from the word pontifax. Anybody ever hear of the pontiff? Well, don't answer that question just now, but... It's a word that is used of the Pope because they look upon him as a bridge. The word is priest. That's what the word uh, bridge is. It's a priest. My friend, can I say that's what Jesus Christ did? He is our bridge to God. On the one hand, he is God of very God, the creator of all things, the son of the Father. On the other hand, he's the son of man, Jesus of Nazareth. And yet Christ came into the world to be our bridge back to God. And thank God that's what he does. If you had been a Christian in the first century, and you said you'd become a Christian, the Jews would say to you, who is your priest? Who is your priest? 
Jesus is our priest. He is our bridge to God. We lived for a short while in the United States of America. And while in the United States, we had often go down to Florida. I'm sure many of you have been to Florida. And uh, we'd go to St. Petersburg. And from St. Petersburg, we'd love to go down to Sarasota. Uh, to get to Sarasota, you had to travel down the highway. And then over the... Oh, the name of the bay has gone from me. Uh, over the bay on what they call the Sunshine Bridge on the road down to Sarasota. A beautiful bridge. When our girls were young and uh, we'd go down, they weren't so much interested in the beautiful Sarasota. They, they enjoyed traveling over the Sunshine Bridge and we down the other side. And then they'd say, Daddy, take us back over the bridge. So we'd have to turn back over the bridge again. Daddy, let's do it again. And so... It was $2.50 every time Daddy, I mean, he was broke by the time we, we but it was a great bridge. However, in 1983, a terrible thing happened. One night, three o'clock in the morning, a ship coming in to the bay. I say the name's gone from it, it'll come in a moment. The ship coming into the bay, full steam ahead, but the master on the bridge was as drunk as could be. And that ship rammed into the stairs of the bridge and hit it. So much so that it knocked the stay over and the bridge buckled and cars plunged into the briny waters of the bay and lost their lives. And why? Because the bridge couldn't hold them. I want to say tonight that in Jesus Christ we have a priest. We have a bridge to God who is unshakable, unmovable, unchangeable. Jesus Christ. And you can depend upon him. He is exactly who we need. He is everything we need. Can I say this as we finish? When we read the concluding verses, we find that Jesus Christ is not only exactly who we need and everything we need, he is the only one we need. Look at what it says in verse 27. He needs not daily as those other high priests to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. My friend, can I say this evening, Jesus is the only one we need. Why? Because he finished the work. He went to Calvary. He not only bore our sins, he was a sin bearer. He satisfied the justice of God in heaven. And Jesus cried, it is finished. That word means, it is fully paid. Jesus Head at all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. Jesus washed it white as snow. My friend, can I say to you this evening, when you have Jesus, you have everything. You don't need another, another way. There is nothing that you can ever do to improve God's salvation. Jesus did it all, paid it all. Thank God he's alive tonight, our Savior. Is he your Savior? Do you know him? Do you have him? I go back to where we started and say, without him, our lives are empty. Without him, your heart is void. Your life is aimless. My friend, tonight, this high priest, Jesus Christ, is exactly who we need. 
everything we need. I'm the only one we need. And I trust that you have him in your heart. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our Savior. And we thank you tonight for the day that you saved us. You caused the light of the gospel to shine in upon us. Lord, tonight we pray that what you did for us, you will do for others too. These things we ask in our Savior's name and for Jesus Christ's sake. Amen. We're going to sing our closing hymn, 348, in the hymn book, O soul, are you weary and troubled? In the light and the darkness you see, there's light for a look at the Savior. There's life more abundant and free. 348.